And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm I'm very interested to discuss the the movies here today. Um, it's a it's a unique window of time. Yes, uh, <laughs> that these movies all uh, take place. And you teased it at the end of the last episode. These are all movies that basically got the green light because of the success of the Matrix. Like whether they're copying the visual style of the movie, the aesthetic. Whatever the case may be, all of these movies hew very closely to the success of 1999's The Matrix. Um, so I will kick it over to you to to elaborate more on on why you chose the category, uh, announce the picks, and we'll get right into it. Yeah, I mean, I I think I picked the category simply because of a recent rewatch of The Matrix, at least within the last like six months, uh, and really just kind of reconnecting with that movie and realizing like, man, the movie fucking rocks and yes it there's, does <laughs> there's a reason why after the matrix like it, it, there is a, a, a point in time where action movies it after the matrix there's a pre-matrix and post-matrix where films basically changed forever uh, after <laughs> that movie came out and it, as happens whenever there is a big blockbuster hit movie right after it it releases you'll notice a number of movies coming out that have similar uh color grading similar art direction similar style of uh uh in the case of the matrix everything turned cyber whatever if we can implement uh people wear sunglasses indoors and trench coats like it just became this neo-noir futuristic style that bled into everything in the surrounding years and some of those things were planned before the Matrix released. Some of them, you know, just parallel thinking sort of style. And then some of them, like you said, were greenlit simply because the Matrix was so successful and studios were scrambling to for anything that could have that same level of hit and ride that wave and get a little bit of extra money in their pocket. And as what happens with riding those waves, there are some that sim and swim and some that sink. Uh, and so that's what we're here to talk about today. Well, I look forward to diving into to these, and yeah, you're right. I I rewatched, I rewatched all of them recently because, um, mainly because we shockingly maybe we'll find an episode to talk about it. We never talked about the recent Matrix movie, The Matrix oh. Resurrections, which came out less than a year ago now. Yeah. Um, but uh, I rewatched them ahead of that movie, and and yeah. um, yeah, but yeah, especially that first movie is, is you know just. It moves like a truck. I rewatched mm-hmm. it and was like, I was like, I know this like line for line, beat for beat. Like it's like it unlocked in my brain of like, I remember every single thing about this movie, right? Because <laughs> I watched it so much between you know like two, the year two thousand was probably when I first watched it, and then and then two thousand three when the the sequels came out, and right. so um, 
Yeah, and so it's really fascinating seeing these three movies. It was such a time capsule to to revisit or watch uh, at least one of these movies for the first time and seeing exactly where the zeitgeist was at, seeing exactly the the, the coattails that were trying to be chased, um, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to it. Also, I, I I can't believe that we didn't talk about Resurrections. I thought we'd already talked about Resurrections. We haven't. No, this is weird. <laughs> but I, I mean, also with the Matrix coming out in 1999, it's right on the cusp of that. You know, the year 2000s, right around the corner. Like uh, the it captured that whole zeitgeist, so it had so much energy behind it, and uh, it it just helps that it's such a solid film. Um, it, it deserves the praise and reverence that it still has uh, today. Um, so we'll see if any of these three movies that are in the list also deserve any reverence. One of them doesn't. Um, but I'll just go ahead and list them off. Uh, so for The Good, I have chosen The One from 2001, directed by James Wong. For The Bad, I have chosen Ballistic X vs. Sever from 2002, directed by uh, Witch Chaos Sayanada. I, I, I'm sorry if I butchered that. He goes by Chaos just in the credits. Uh, I thought it was Cow. Like Is K-A-O. it? I think so. It might or be. Kaus. Kaus. Or Kaus. I don't know. Or it's chaos. I have no idea what. I don't know. I saw chaos with a K, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> He's some some troll on a message board directed a movie. Um, and then for the what, I've chosen Equilibrium from two thousand one, directed by Kurt Wimmer. What if there was a killer traveling through parallel universes, and he looked just like you? What if he would stop at nothing? take over your world. We'll start with the one, and I know that when I chose this episode, we sort of had a back and forth banter, knowing that we were going to be talking about the one. You, at least at one point in your life, had like a, a warm spot for this movie, right? Yes, absolutely. This was uh, this was like one of those sleepover staples. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like the, it was like the one... The Born Identity was another one, and for reasons I can't explain, but coming soon to a good, bad, what episode near you, Kung Pao entered the fist. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. those those were three that were in the rotation pretty heavily. Yeah, and deservedly so, especially the Kung Pao entered the fist. I I still think I, I, there's large portions of that movie that don't hold up, namely the the cow fight. Uh, but it's still a highly quoted movie in in at least my household. Um, but for the one, this was for me like an after school, um, watch almost daily. Cause it was on, uh, FX or, or whatever that, that equivalent on TV was. all the time, constantly. And, and it was PG 13. So it was one of those things where it's like, you got to watch, like if you couldn't watch R rated movies, like it was pretty much uncut with the yep. exception of maybe a couple swear words because it wasn't rated R. So it right. could play. So. But you could set your watch to it. That, that it was always on it was like Shawshank and the one we're always on TV so th- much like me like I've said on the show before I wasn't allowed in my household to watch rated R movies so I watched a lot of movies on TV namely this one and I thought that this was the coolest shit in the world so coming out in 2001 like you know two years after the Matrix hot on the heels it's got uh, gun fu action, slow motion action, uh, uh, weird leather outfits, futuristic styles that are going on. So it's, it's ticking a lot of those same boxes of, of what I loved about The Matrix. Um, but it, it's got, I, I don't know, like it, it, it doesn't quite capture what The Matrix does, but I think 
what I appreciated about it is that it doesn't delve too deep into trying to be really deeply world building. It basically just sets forward like it's a Highlander plot. It, 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 and I'll, I guess that's what I'll do. I'll start this off by just reading off the synopsis. So the synopsis is the multiverse exists and is strictly policed. When he accidentally kills an alternate version of himself and discovers it makes him stronger, multiverse agent Yu Law, played by Jet Li, goes rogue, jumping universes and killing his alternate selves in an attempt to become the one. The only ones who can stop him are two agents in pursuit and the last alternate, Gabe, who's also played by Jet Li. So before I get too deep into the weeds with what I liked about the movie, on this recent rewatch, did it still touch that warm spot? Was it like a good memory or, or did you cringe the whole way through it? Um, it was, it was both. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, like, sure. I, I guess I, I, I think it mostly holds up and I think okay. it mostly holds up because even though I think we've, we've strayed so far from like practical stuff, like not, I'm not that it doesn't happen, but like, you know, mm-hmm. so much is done in the computer now, and not that it, this has a lot of dated early 2000s effects, yeah. I'm not saying it doesn't, but it also has a lot of really well done in camera martial arts, you know, mm-hmm. especially, especially because you have Jet Li and you have Jason Statham, uh, who is one of the um, multiverse police who are in in pursuit of Jet Li's character, uh, Delray Lindo being the other um, detective as well. And so it's like you have these really astute martial artists and they're doing their own stunts, they're doing the moves. I mean, Jet Li was a, you know, down and dirty uh, Hong Kong stunt like actor before coming over to the States. And, you know, it's not, he didn't have as successful a career as Jackie Chan did by any stretch of the imagination, but it's like, but he had some solid programmers while he was here and the, the one being one of them. And, um, I, and so from that level, I felt it held up pretty well. I, there's no fat on this movie. Nope. Like it's about multiverses, but like you said, they don't spend a lot. There's like a line of exposition at the beginning and it's like, and then we're off. This movie's less than 90 minutes long. And so that's refreshing. It also being about multiverses, because that's like hot right now within like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, yep. and other like film properties. So it's like that the fact that this did it before that, I think, is is also really fascinating. Um, but yes, I, 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 but there are a few things where like, you know, you watch and I said time capsule at the beginning of this episode. And I meant, I meant that from the standpoint of like, you know. some movies you watch and you're like i don't know when this was made it has a timeless feel the matrix is mostly that yeah like the matrix has like a timeless quality to it the one within the first five minutes of this movie with a couple wonky effects and a needle drop of bodies by drowning pool (laughs) i was like oh this movie was made exactly in 2001 like not before not after in (laughs) 2001 this movie has two Drowning pool needle drops, bodies and sinner. It has two Papa Roach needle drops in the climax and the final shot of the movie mm-hmm. into the credits. And I, that's where my cringe came in. I'm just like, <laughs> oh, this hurts me. <laughs> like, because it's like, and I listened to that shit too. Like, oh, yeah. And I know I did. And so it was just like, when it when it comes down to the final fight, which is cool, but I hear bum bum and I was like, oh no, <laughs> what a terrible choice. <laughs> yeah, it, it does kill the mood and the tone, and like that's something that we can say about like you know, for comparison, the Matrix, the Matrix using a a score, a, 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 a an original score 
And I can still in my head hear the like that pumping rhythm when like the subway fight between Neo and Agent Smith. Like that that carries your your fight and sets the mood much better than Cut my life into pieces. <laughs> it, like yeah. that takes you completely out of everything else that's going on in the movie. Because like I, you're just thinking about like early two thousand super baggy cargo pants, chain yep. wallets, uh, fingerless well, and, gloves, and then the lyrics of as they're fighting each. It's like they're all. It's it's tone deaf, but it's also on the nose because it's it's Blood Brothers. And they're and it's, it's in our nature to kill ourselves. Yeah. It's in our nature to kill each other. And it's like as they're fighting to the death, yeah. it's like, oh god, oh no, no. I, I had that same thing when the when bodies started in the the, the garage because I put this on the list as the good, based completely off of the memory of being a kid, being uh, two thousand one, so being like twelve. And being like, this movie kicks ass. So yeah. I like a fond memory, and then when I was watching it, and that kicked on, I was like, oh no, I'm like, oh no, I this this better pick up because I, it can't be this the whole movie, or I won't be able to justify it. And it got, I mean, for me, the worst the worst needle drop was after they catch Yula and they bring him back to like the tele like the hub world or whatever. So they. They're able to travel through wormholes that appear somewhere in the world uh, based on, like, a, a time. You need to be there when the clock hits a certain area. A wormhole will open up and it can send you back. Sort of like the um, sort of like the phone booths in The Matrix. You need to get to an area and it'll yeah. pull you out of it. So it, it Oh, I was thinking, like, like the like the butt plugs in Everything Everywhere All at Once. <laughs> exactly like the butt plugs in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh no, but they they get Yulaw to it, they pull him out, and they're at back at the hub world, and they're going to send him to the, the penal colony universe where all of the bad people go. Uh, like the, the bizarro world in uh, the Lego Batman movie. And so <laughs> they put him in the chair, they're getting ready to go, and uh, uh, his lady, um, who is played by... Carla Guguino, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, is it Gugino or Gugino? Gugino. Yeah, I is have a bad time RG? pronouncing her name. I apologize, but yeah. she's been Watchmen, she's Spy Kids. Yeah, she's been yeah. in a bunch of bunch. It's an actress you you've seen in something before. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, she shows up. She's dressed like to the nines as a femme fatale. So you're like, obviously she's up to no good. She uh, snuck in a uh, a mouse that has a plastic explosive in its asshole, um, and. It, she like sneaks it out of her shoe and it walks along the wall and they're they're doing like they're do you have any last words to Jet Li uh, sort of speech and she like uh, extends her finger which is supposed to be like the I guess trigger for the plastic explosive that's in the mouse's asshole and it, she extends her finger and just goes Ew! and then <laughs> and I like dropped my head in my hands and I was like that is the lamest fucking way that you could kick off this. Like, it is the, you could just see some douchebag with, like, just the Tyler Durden chin uh, hair and, like, frosted tips and shit with a puka shell necklace, like, editing this in a dark room by himself going, Oh, dude, this is gonna get everybody in the theater on their feet, man. Fucking love this song, dude. And it's like, funny because you mentioned that, like, because I envisioned that exact, like, because... 
I don't know if he had the soul patch, but like David uh, Draymond from Disturbed, the le- the leading man had yes. the, like the the piercing there that yep. went from like the chin to the the that spot. So, um, oh man, it's a look and it's, and it's an era. But like that's, it is. <laughs> those things point through. But I think for like for the most part, I don't think it torpedoed the movie for me. Like it was like oh that sucks, but we're, okay, we're back to fist fighting. I yeah. It didn't torpedo the movie. It was more just like I, I, I was. I wasn't sure if I was embarrassed on behalf of the movie or embarrassed of myself. Like yes. it, it was like <laughs> I wasn't a hundred percent sure how I felt because I'm also sitting here going like because it's like some of that new metal holds up. Not any of the ones played in this movie, but I was no. like, I was like, you couldn't afford corn, like or somebody, like, come on, like. pure Limp biscuit the whole way. That's the, that should have oh, been every song. Th- that would have been more atonal, I think. <laughs> <laughs> if they'd gone Limp Bizkit. But I digress about the music. But no, I think the movie the movie's fun because it really is just a setup for, like, chases, you know? Like, yeah. all the exposition is super... Like, we, we have, like, the opening sort of moment. Um, and then we have a sort of... There is a little bit of a Matrix element because um, of, like... Like, when Neo sort of is following the White Rabbit, so following... Uh, and following Trinity and learning about like everything that is actually happening and what mm. he was led to believe isn't real. They kind of do that a little bit with um, with Jet Li's like not the one who's trying to kill everybody, but the last remaining of Jet Li's character yeah. where like he's in the hospital um, and he has no idea what's going on um, whatsoever. He's like unaware of his powers, but um, you know, everybody is after him because of the evil Jet Li's like, so they don't, they don't know who is who and, then, then there's like a Morpheus sort of esque exposition dump in the midsection of the movie where Jason Statham pretty much lays out everything that happened of like, yeah. you know, have you noticed that you feel stronger? Okay, well, you're the only one left and there has to be a balance in the universe. So now you're just as strong as he is, but he knows how to use that strength. Um, so it's like you get a couple of exposition dumps here or there, but then it's just, again, an excuse for like, um, you know, you were, were like, there was that famous shot in, uh, I think it was in the... Uh, um, I remember it was in the trailer for sure, which like got me pumped to see this movie where like the two cops on the motorcycles go after him mm-hmm. and he reaches his arms out and punches the two of them and, and they uh, like go flying off out of frame. Yeah. Yeah. And he uses the motorcycles, which is one of the more spottier effects of the movie. He like yeah. holds them in his hand and it's just like, they look like, like cardboard, like, like he's like, like, it's like, it's like, like a suburban pa- Sasquatch when he picks <laughs> yeah. the cop car. <laughs> yeah. Like a little bit. Yeah. It's like, it's like, a, it looks like a, it looks a little better. It looks more like a power wheels than, than, yeah. than like, than like a terrible like CG render, but it's got that sort of feel of you're like, yikes, that looks <laughs> not great. <laughs> I understand what you're going for, but uh, no, nah, nah, I probably should have shot around that. But they did well in the fight sequences and this director, you know, he didn't do a lot of movies, which is strange because he, we should note he directed the first and the third Final Destination movies, mm-hmm. which were very successful films. Um, and it's also kind of funny because you look at like, um, like, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Like Jamie Collette, Sarah, who did like Orphan and the House of Wax remake. But then he did a bunch of like the Liam Neeson action movies and then Jungle Cruise. Like there seems to be a good trajectory of like horror filmmakers doing action movies as well. Um I don't know what it is. I mean, horror takes choreography as well to like, if you actually want to like genuinely create tension and, and, and scares within the frame. And so, right. um, but it's weird. That this, again, this director didn't really do much after this. Cause I know this, 
this is our good pick, and I, I, I stand by your choice. This wasn't the most critically uh, uh, loved movie. No. Uh, none of these were, to be fair. But like this one <laughs> was not very well liked by critics. But I didn't look at the box office. I feel like it was successful, or at least somewhat successful. Uh, uh, maybe I'm I, mistaken. I didn't look at it either. It, it may have been a. Uh, it, it may have been also just sort of a. a a cult following. I mean, like I said, I started, yeah. I watched this a ton on TV. So it, it, it much like Shawshank Redemption, even like it's not on the same level as Shawshank Redemption, but Shawshank Redemption didn't do very well at the box office and then got True. a huge like love and reappraisal afterwards when it was on TBS 24 yeah. seven. Um, but I mean, looking at IMDb and again, take these numbers with a grain of salt, but the, this is the estimated budget is 49 million. Uh, the opening weekend was 19 million. So it, wasn't a huge hit, but that's pretty decent for to take home on a, a opening weekend. Uh, and then this gross worldwide was seventy nine million, so it made money, some amount yeah. of money. Um, yeah, it made some amount of money, and and like you said, it did gangbusters on cable and and video rentals. You know, of course, oh, this yeah. is pre streaming era, so it's like I'm sure there was a lot of like it probably made a ton of money because I know everyone I everyone that I was friends with seemingly owned a copy of this movie <laughs> and we watched it constantly and almost everyone I know even outside of like the kid like friends I grew up with like like this movie maybe it's a generational thing I, I don't know but maybe like, but yeah but it's it's people people genuinely dig this movie and, and and when I go back and watch some of the Jet Li movies that I didn't see when I was uh, younger around this time like the one still stands as one of the better ones uh, to me. Um, sure. You know, I guess this and Cradle of the Grave with uh, DMX. Oh, well, yeah. Be, be the, That's uh, the, American the classic. Top, yes, the top, top notch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, for this movie, the I, I really think it just has a winning formula with having an actual martial artist in Jet Li, who is a great performer and knows exactly what he's doing on screen, coupled with a... a uh, a sci-fi concept that is really not complicated at all, uh, very easy to follow, but it's very cool and it's very neat, and it's also uh, just a simple hero's journey, and, and it it sets him into an area of an everyman, just like we have in Neo, who's just some desk jockey who does some hacking on the side, who ends up being like the savior of the universe, and so like right. it, it it's following that same Matrix formula, but. It does stand alone. I don't think anybody can really do a one-to-one comparison between the one and the Matrix. I wouldn't say that the one is ripping the Matrix off, but I think it chose the the structural elements that worked for the Matrix and applied it in in a way that is effective here. And it's just unfortunate that there's so much Papa Roach in it. That's really its, yeah. its main <laughs> point. It, it, it is. It really is. I I, I, I think that was uh, really the detriment of the movie was how, how much Papa Roach is in this That's movie. Any movie, really, that has Papa Roach in it. It shouldn't. Ouch. It shouldn't have that. You're just like, oh, man. Yeah, like you said, the puka shell, the frosted tips, yep. like everything. I, I, I see it, but... But no, I think I think the movie is certainly a, a lot of fun. A lot of stuff work in its works in its favor. I think like the momentum. There's some fun fun sequences. Um, it was a trip seeing Statham with hair. Like, yeah. <laughs> as a Statham apologist, I'm just like, oh man, that's right. He had hair at one point. <laughs> so that and he's was, also that like was the crazy. bumbling new guy too. Like he's not yeah. he's not the transporter. He's not like. He's not even like lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Statham, no. who's like cool and calm and collected, like he's fucking up the entire movie, and he gets his ass kicked. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's like Delroy Lindo is the seasoned uh, right. uh, detective, and that's a that's kind of a a, a fun, well, not fun scene, but like I, I was impressed with like for his dopey as this movie is, I was impressed with the scene where um, he finds like Delroy Lindo's counterpart in that universe, in yeah. the, like where he was like the gas station attendant, and he's like basically spilling his guts to him. He's like, "You were right. I was reckless. Like I know exactly what I need to do now." Like. I should listen. Thank you for the lessons. And he's just like, I'm going to call the cops. Right. Yeah. You. It's like, I don't know who you are, dude, but you're tripping me out. Right. So I don't know what this uh, is, but I, I'm putting an end to it. So it's like, it's got a punchline, but I think like Statham really does sell, sell that scene. And yeah. a premise that's silly. I think that they, they do a really good job there. Nobody's, nobody's acting above the material. And I think that's also a bit, a big part of it. They're leaning into what the movie is and they're doing it well. And exactly. It's fun. I like to the point where I started this. I went to a concert Friday night, got home late, started the movie and I knew it was short, but I was like, oh, I probably won't finish the whole movie. And I finished the whole movie. (laughs) So it's like I couldn't stop. It was fun. It moves like there's really not a lot of downtime. I think I think this would be fun maybe to watch with a group of people because it's still a fun movie and a, a group that can sit in that in that same moment of cringe and being like oh god bodies and like <laughs> having that realization together i think would even just elevate it a little bit more this would be a fun reprisal to to have for a short run back at the theater and just oh, have people man. that are like that age together in the theater going oh collectively <laughs> they should do they should do the the sing-alongs like they do with like frozen or moana <laughs> But it's for all the new metal songs. With like just a Jason Statham's bouncing head going across yeah. the bottom of the screen. One, nothing wrong with me. Two, nothing wrong with me. Oh, well. Fathom events. Uh, put this on the put this on the docket. Yeah, except do it in the right aspect ratio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't borrow your cousin's shit ass like four by three DVD copy of it. It's a VHS copy. They were still doing VHSs at this time. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, they were in 2001. Oh, yeah, because of what What was it? History of Violence was the last mass-produced mm-hmm. uh, VHS, so that would have, that was 2005. So, yeah, yeah, they still had a couple years. little history lesson. little history lesson. Um, speaking of history lessons and things to be embarrassed about, should we move on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there is quite a bit of history behind Ballistic X versus Sever. Two deadly agents. ID. A former FBI agent named Jeremiah X. Sworn enemies. Seven. This woman single-handedly took out a heavily armed escort detail. I need you to find her. Of course you do. And when the rules change... Positive visual. Take her down. They find that their enemy... The only one they can trust. Let's finish this. Yes, notoriously, like, has a reputation of being, like, one of the worst movies of its scale mm-hmm. of all time. Like, I think that this was this is sort of famously, like, because I think Rotten Tomatoes was around in 2002. Or, yeah. or if not, it was around shortly thereafter. And so they they once published a list of, like, the bottom hundred most reviewed, uh, like worst reviewed movies. And number one on that list is Ballistic X versus Sever based on like number of reviews and then how many like rotten reviews. It has a zero percent, 
but out of like a hundred something reviews, there's not a not a positive one in the bunch. I so I chose this as the bad movie based purely on the reputation. I had not seen it, and I went into it expecting the the worst movie that had ever been made. Um, it's not. We've reviewed worse movies on this show. Uh, yes. Karate Christmas Miracle. Um, but this movie is interesting in its badness. And, and that's. And I, I think also it may have gotten just like a little bit of extra ribbing just because of the budget that went behind this movie. Because it, I, I think it was a $70 million budget. Yes, but I'm going to put an asterisk next to that. I know we have a lot of history to go through, and so we might bounce around a bit. And we apologize. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm going to put an asterisk next to that is this is now the third movie we've talked about from Franchise Pictures, <laughs> uh, um, short-lived production company who did such esteemed classics as Battlefield Earth, and 3,000 Miles to Graceland, which we talked about on the show, and Driven, which we talked about on the show. And they got slapped with a lawsuit by some of the financiers of Battlefield Earth because they were under the impression it was going to be like a $40 million movie, and they marked it as like 70 around the, mm-hmm. the, the, the budget of Ballistic. Um, and they filed a claim in court and said like you're inflating the budgets of these movies so that when they tank that you can have a greater tax write-off on these movies so they sued them and they won and that's when franchise pictures went under and filed chapter 11 because they so it the long story short the budget of ballistic says it's 70 million but take that with a huge grain of salt given given what uh this this company did in their very short run making uh big budget movies oh sure and i think there's I wouldn't say that it's not on the screen because, like, literally everything in this fucking movie explodes. It's like mm-hmm. if you ever played GoldenEye on N64 and you would, like, shoot a computer chair and then the chair would blow up into a fireball. Like, that's yes. that, that same material from GoldenEye is what everything in this world of Ballistic X versus Sever is made out of. And um, most things are practical, too. Like, there's oh, yeah. really not a lot of, like, dodgy CG in this movie. Um, like, everything's seemingly done in camera. Um, so there's definitely a lot of shit that blows up uh, real good. It's not shot real good, but it does blow up real good. <laughs> it is not shot real good. Or edited real good. Um, yes. And then, the the I guess, for me, the last bit of history, you might have more history to add to this, but the title, Ballistic X vs. Sever, is in direct relation to The Matrix. This uh, script that was used for this movie was written and had been around since the 80s and had been kicked around on, under a, a couple of different titles, but obviously it was it was originally written to be more of a buddy movie um, th- that was around the same time. So like even moving into the 90s, it went through iterations to be closer to Lethal Weapon or it wanted to be closer to 48 Hours. So by the time it got to this time, it was about, you know, two spies working against each other. And because of the success of the Matrix, they gave it a a futuristic title, that being Ballistic X versus Sever, which is, I guess, just whatever they landed on for the title. And it got greenlit off of the back of the Matrix to get made. So then, and I don't want to, I don't know if it's Chaos or it's Chaos. Uh, I'm sorry, but he got tapped in to shoot the movie. He did one shoot of it. They were able to send it in for test screening. Um, a couple of things didn't play right, 
and the producers pulled him away from the movie. And from that point on, he had no control whatsoever. It got chopped up, and whatever they put out, he's basically completely disowned. Like, that is not the movie that I made, uh, which is... I think we've made mention of this happening before when talking on previous uh, movies on this show, that this is just something that happens. Sometimes a, a studio doesn't understand what it takes to make movies, and they think that they can make it by committee, and then they churn out a big pile of shit, which seems to be the case here. Yeah, I think so, because I think that the biggest thing that doesn't... Well, I mean, uh, uh, sorry, I got to backtrack here. So in the, <laughs> that, uh, yes, I, I, I think I read the same research you did. And, and there's one there's one piece he did own up to what he thought didn't work. And he's like, I own up to this part is like the movie's heavy, heavy, heavily melodramatic. Like yes. almost all of the sort of like drama and like the family stuff. And, you know, we'll probably lay down the plot here very shortly. But um is all very, very heavy melodrama punctuated by these, like, you know, elaborate action set pieces that, again, I think I should maybe backtrack and say it's hard to say whether they were shot well or not, but they're certainly not edited well, like no. you said, which is which is goes into, um, you know, which goes into the, it being taken away and them not editing the movie correctly for the impact that they were uh, anticipating those scenes having. But it's it's funny you mentioned because this this went you know the script had existed from from the eighties mm-hmm. and the type of movie it reminds me of more than the Matrix like you look at the cover of the movie and you would think that was a Matrix clone like it's it's oh, drabbed yeah. in blue they're in black outfits the titles like futuristic but the movie it most resembles is Face Off. Like, yeah. Like like in sort of structure in a lot of the themes. It feels more like it's trying to be a John Woo movie than anything, because even even before John Woo made movies in the States, like movies like The Killer and A Better Tomorrow 1 and 2, um, like his movies are like very heavy melodramatic in between the sort of like gun ballet that happens in those movies. And so it felt like it was going for that kind of tone, which like you really have to nail for like a Western audience because like, it's pretty common in Hong Kong cinema, but it's not something as common here. And so like right. Wu kind of nailed it with face off, which we talked about in a previous episode because he was able to have the creative control. So he's like, I know how I want to make my movie and I know how I'm going to be able to make it work for a, a Western audience versus I feel like this had that idea, but because it was taken away from the filmmaker, it just, it, a lot of it lands just, poorly i would also argue that having two huge personalities like john travolta and nicholas cage being yes. as your leads was the really the spice that that brought together the stew that is face off whereas i mean we'll get into antonio banderas and, and lucy Liu and their interactions here um another thing it reminded me of was uh rrr uh which we will talk about in next week's episode um but the Kind of a similar plot, and and we'll maybe mention that. I don't want to give away too much. Uh, Sure. But uh, really quickly, just wanted to read the synopsis that I put down here. So, uh, when the son of a wealthy magnate is kidnapped by ex-agent Sever, played by Lucy Liu, ex-FBI agent X, uh, played by Banderas, is brought out of retirement when he learns that finding the boy could also lead him to his wife, who he presumed dead. Um, That probably sounds confusing, the way that I read that. And it is. However, another piece of history. So this script had been around since the 80s, and one of the things that they changed as a producer's note in the script 
was the the boy, like the lineage of the boy. So in, in the original script, X from the very beginning knows that his is his his son. So when his son gets kidnapped, he goes after Sever to get his son back. And then through their interactions, he learns that I'm going to spoil the movie. I'm sorry, but you shouldn't watch it anyway. Um, well, you can't really. It's not streaming anywhere. You have to buy a oh, DVD yes. of the movie, which which we both did. <laughs> which is an indictment on the movie, I will also say. Uh, but he... Uh, so Antonio Banderas goes after Lucy Liu to get his son. And then he learns that the bad guy, Robert Gant, who's played by Greg Henry... Um, he had kidnapped his wife, who he like presumed dead, and this guy was also responsible for killing Lucy Liu's family. So she had kidnapped this boy, uh, thinking that it was Robert Gant's kid, and it was like a misunderstanding. But then when they come to a collective of like, no, I didn't know it was your son. You can have your son back, but let's go kill that guy together. Then they team up. So they're supposed to be going at each other's throats. And almost like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith a, a little bit, in a way, of these two secret agents using everything at their disposal to try and kill each other. But they're both so highly skilled, they just can't kill the other one until they realize we should be working together to go against the common enemy. Yeah. And then they team up in the third act and it becomes that. By the, making that one change that the the boy being X's son is now a twist reveal at the end of the movie... They no longer have any motivation to interact with each other for the whole movie. And the movie is called X versus Sever. Yes. And there's not also not a lot of verses that happens in the movie. Either, no. Which is weird. Like, And the, the thing is, if you've ever seen the trailer for this movie, which I'm sure more people saw the trailer for this movie than actually saw this movie because it was a huge box office bomb in addition to a critical bomb. Um, is the trailer is cut to make it seem like they have a history with one another. Yes. And so I was blown away in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie, and blown away and not in a good way, I mean, to find out that they have never met each other and have no clue of who each other are. Like, so I'm just like, wait a minute. So the, you're building up this sort of title fight between them, and mm. they don't even know who each other are? Like, that doesn't really make any sense a, a, in the slightest. It's so strange to me. No, um, it's so strange. And, um, you know, I mean, like, yeah, I, I think it would have made more sense to to have it not be a reveal from the beginning. Um, and if this got made uh, around this time, they should have cast Tom Jane because, you know, he just wants his kids back. But anyway, I was not expecting a resident development uh, uh, reference. That was good. But. But I, I think, like, and it's it's a bummer because I, like, I like Antonio Banderas and I like Lucy Liu. I mean, hell, Antonio Banderas has been in movies kind of similar to this. You know, sure. he's been in Assassins with Sylvester Stallone, which has similar aspects of the movie. The very same year of this movie, he was in Femme Fatale, the Brian De Palma movie mm. with Rebecca Romaine, also has similar plot threads of this movie, which, damn, we got to do Femme Fatale on this podcast. I got to fit it into an episode somehow because that movie fucking awesome sure. but um but it's like he is just so sleepy in this movie and so mm -hmm. checked out like it like even from the start like i know he's supposed to be sort of a broken down like like sad guy who who's you know not, like 
mourning his wife and he's like left. a noir detective where he's just like yes. at the bottom of a bottle he just like can't be bothered and he has to get dragged back into the uh like i'm hungover sort of guy but he yeah. thinks it's a mumblecore movie yeah well he is mumbling a lot of the movie and then like and lucy Liu is sort of the like silent type like she doesn't have a lot of lines in the movie she's supposed to be like stone cold but the way the movie's like edited just makes her come across as like wooden and it's like mm-hmm. i was i was yearning for the the matrix-esque knockoff she was in two years prior to this which is the the 2000 uh charlie's angels movie mm-hmm. which inexplicably had its own like scene like where they're chasing crispin glover through the tunnel and it's like that that was another movie i watched a lot as a kid don't ask why but it just it just i remember that movie pretty vividly and uh, uh and they was like had like the slow-mo and they're like you know doing the bullet time sort of like martial arts it was like for a charlie's angels movie <laughs> okay I, sure it, in, it infected everything every it action did. movie had to have a but, matrix element to it but that movie was more entertaining and charismatic than this one like by by a considerable margin oh absolutely yeah it's well, just and- it's go go ahead sorry Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna dogpile on on Lucy Liu, and it's not her fault. It's the script's fault entirely because she she is used as a plot device to get Antonio Banderas his story going. But because like we don't we don't get any time with Lucy Liu really to figure out like what her whole deal is because she like steals the kid. Next time we see her, she is in a gunfight with... Uh, we should also mention that Ray Park is in this movie, uh, who uh, plays uh, Darth Maul. Um, mm-hmm. He's like... Martial the, artist himself. Right. Well. Yep. Um, he plays like a... And they have like a pretty okay fight. It's not choreographed well. Or I, like I was really well disappointed in that because I saw his name in the credits and I was like, oh, that means there's going to be like a good like hand-to-hand combat sequence because right. he probably is going to like, you know, he actually do it and help choreograph it because he's also like even even though these movies range variably in quality but like you said he's darth maul he's toad in the first x-men movie he plays snake eyes in the two uh gi joe movies so it's just like he's got a a skill um you know as a stunt performer but yeah it's it's really not done a a a service here (laughs) i'm assuming they didn't give him much time to really rehearse because he does a couple like side rolls and and he'll he'll do like some aerial stuff like that but there's no there's no real like trading of blows and they're going like it, it they more or less in that whole scene at the end doesn't make any fucking sense at all because they're in a shootout in the middle of a train yard and then we cut to like they're inside of a missile silo or some shit and there's like a, a like a submerged nuclear core in the like I have no idea what that is doing near a train yard. I don't know where the, it's like a refinery uh, yeah. for plutonium. But um, but Lucy Liu is sort of set up to be the the villain of the movie. Although we're getting like side uh, like we're getting a sides in Antonio Banderas' story where he's flashing back and remembering things, and we can very very cl- and not even I should correct that. We're getting those, but we're also just getting direct shots of Robert Gant, played by Greg Henry, being obviously the villain. Like, there's a. Yes. After his son gets kidnapped, he gives a dude a gun and tells him to commit suicide in front of him as, like, yes. repayment for, like, you failed me. And this is in the first, like, 15 minutes of the movie, and the dude goes to shoot him, and then, like, a sniper shoots that guy in the head. And so we're like, okay, well, he's obviously clearly also a bad guy. 
So then we know that Severs, she, she must have some motivation that is not as bad as that guy, right? So we, like, the audience is already clued into the fact that there's probably something more that they're not telling us. And then they just continue to not tell us for another 50 minutes of the movie where Lucy Liu will, like, come in and, like, will give Antonio Banderas a ride somewhere and then will drive out of the scene and then come back later when he's met his wife and they've had their meet-cute. And then she's like, all right, we're gonna, we got to go somewhere else now. We'll, like, pick him back up. So like, <laughs> she's, she's driving the plot, literally. <laughs> she's literally driving the plot from point A to point B and has nothing to do in the in-between. So they just have her leave the scene and then come back late. Like, it's baffling that they can't give her a line here or there or have them have a yeah. conversation where she's like, my entire family was killed by Robert Gant. I did this as a as a thing to get back at him. And, like, they don't... There's no point where she has that real heart-to-heart and they have an understanding of their character. She's just stoic the whole time. And that is a problem with the directing. I, I know that yep. we want to, like, give the guy, like, hey, you know, the producer stepped in and they fucked your movie up. That sucks. But, like, you obviously weren't telling your actress to emote. You were, like... You're a robot and action. Yeah. And, and we know she could do cold-blooded and vengeful because she's in uh, the Kill Bill Volume 1. She's, yeah. she's great in that movie. So Right. Um, and she emotes. <laughs> yes, she emotes. Yeah. We she understand her motivations. Decapitates that dude's head in front of everybody. Yeah, yeah it's, it's badass. <laughs> it is. It is. It is badass. And there's nothing like that in this movie. It's just It's just so... Yeah, it's so sleepy. It's so strange, and 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 I I I wanted to not not like a point, but just to elaborate what you said of like how this movie has this reputation, and it's I agree with you. It's like it's not the worst thing ever. It's not in a front to cinema bad. It's a it's kind of boring. It's very bad. boring, and and but like I wasn't like offended while watching it. It was just like oh well, that was pretty bad in a generic sense. But one thing I want to also tie back to what we talked about at the very start of the episode. Because we were praising the score of the Matrix, and mm-hmm. the score for the Matrix is great, but that score is done by Don Davis, who they got to compose the score for this movie, and the score for this movie is terrible. One, one of, if not like, well, I won't say, I won't say the worst because I've seen some, I've seen things, and I've seen, <laughs> I've seen some. <laughs> You mean Season Strike movies. Nine didn't like it, knock it out of the park? It really, yeah. The the <laughs> plotting boom, little piano song they put in there really didn't do it for me. But I I'll I'll find a piece of the score and put it here in the episode so that you hear it. There is like an atonal moaning woman that just and it's over everything. There's yes. like music happening and then some woman will come in and she just starts doing a melody, but she's not. It's she, it's not like she's reading sheet music and hitting notes it's literally like put a microphone in front of that lady and just sort of change your pitch and moan and we'll figure out where it goes later in the music because it doesn't match what it's not harmonizing at all it's just a melody that's over other sounds uh and it's it's so confusing as to why you would score your movie that way it reminded me of the score for well speaking of of franchise pictures reminded me the score to driven where like nothing in that movie matched anything that was happening in it and you're just like wait what what why (laughs) why is this happening and it's pretty some pretty comparable here you're just like wait what it doesn't make any sense it It doesn't and it's it's frustrating after a while because they will just insert score over scenes of things happening and it's always the same thing. So you'll just hear that lady go, ah, 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 and you're like, oh, fuck. 
no, stop. <laughs> like, about 20 minutes into the movie, I was completely fed up with it already. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is another note that they had is we needed to be like the Matrix, so you need to shoot it in a stylized way like the Matrix. And for them, the stylized way was just put random shots in slow motion um, and then like ramp speed even. So like there'd be shots of people running that's in slow motion and then it would just turn to fast motion, but it's not... There's no 360 degree camera spin. There's no yeah. bullet time. There's there's nothing that's shot that way. There's just scenes of people doing things that would be in slow motion that normally wouldn't. And then they consider that to be quote unquote style. Yeah, it's so it's it's literally the they're they're like the uh it's like the endings to Batman Forever and Batman Robin, where they're like silhouetted <laughs> and they're running yeah. in slow-mo towards the camera and the credits roll. Like it's basically that. Like they're not doing anything cool. They're just no. they're just running. No, yeah, with the, and they don't even have the ba 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 ba. Yeah, like there's nothing cool. It's <laughs> like that's that's backing it as people are like half asleep, slowly jogging in slow motion, and then that's that's considered excitement in this action movie. Um, yeah, that's no. That's, this is one I can't recommend. No, 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 no. Not this is not a, a. This is like one of those where it's like its reputation is a bit hyperbolic, but it's still not a good movie. It's not even a curiosity. Like I need to see one of the worst movies ever made because it's not. It's not no. like because it's not one of them, and it's just pretty generically boring. Um. So yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Um. I now own a DVD copy of this movie, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe I'll donate it. I'll, I'll maybe next time I'm at like an Airbnb, I'm just gonna sneak it into like the DVD. <laughs> just, just put it Watch, I don't get I don't get my deposit yeah. back. Like one star, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one star. Left a copy of Ballistic X versus Severmind. <laughs> you have been banned from using Airbnb. <laughs> yes, yeah, the, the apps just deleted from my phone automatically. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> It's like that episode of Seinfeld where uh, George gets red flagged after he took the, the, the book into the bathroom at the library. Yes. <laughs> I might tempt it, though. I will see. It's really tempting to just be like, just, just quietly put it put it in there. That's, that's a crime. It, it, it has to be on the book somewhere. Um, do you, want, do you want to pivot out of this to, to something that's uh, actually somewhat interesting? And we'll see how this conversation goes, but I would say that there's possibly an argument to say that the third movie is better than the one. Um, maybe, maybe we'll get into that, but uh, Equilibrium. In the near future, freedom. You can't do this. You cannot do this. There's nothing we can't do. Is a thing of the past. Now, betrayed by the state... The only thing more powerful than the system is the man. What can I do? Who will overthrow it? I've heard the most disturbing rumor. Rumor, sir. A rumor maintaining that one of the cleric is actually attempting to contact the resistance. Then you know what I'm gonna do now. Equilibrium. Uh, which was for me another one that, as a kid, I saw. Uh, and really enjoyed it, it. I didn't see it on TV nearly as much. This was definitely something that um, I remember I rented uh, from Tiger Town Video and watched it over at uh, my buddy Nick's house. 
Um, and we, because it was rated R, so I wasn't allowed to watch it at my house. Um, and what a picture. Uh, I remember thinking it was like the most like badass thing because it's like that same sleek style, but at least this movie has a style. Um, it has some actual decent performances in it, has a, a decent score. Um, and again, a, a concept that is not very heady. It's, it's not really anything that's going to be, um, you're not going to think too hard about it. And really you shouldn't think too hard about it because then it kind of destroys the entirety of the plot if you ponder on it too much. But, um, I, I'll quickly just do the synopsis real quick and throw it to you, um, after narrowly surviving World War III, the surviving humans blame the ability to feel as the source of their problems. A drug is developed to suppress emotions and mandated by a tyrannical government that uses highly skilled clerics to enforce sense offense laws. When high-ranking cleric John Preston, played by Christian Bale, is disillusioned, he embarks on an action-packed journey to bring down his oppressors. Ryan, what did you think of Equilibrium, and do you have any history with it? My history is not very vast with this movie. Okay. I think I watched it for the first time in like 2018, 2019 oh. even. Like I, I, I didn't, I had never seen it. Um, but like similarly, another friend had like watched it when he was younger. So when we were just like hanging out at, at, at his house and, I, and he's like, he's like, you want to watch the Equilibrium? And I was like, I, yeah, sure. I've never seen it. So, um, so I watched it and and I think yeah I think this is a pretty solid movie I think that um, like you said I, I, it's not like heady but I think but it still has a thought in its head mm-hmm. and I think that the movie works on sort of a base level because like it's sort of it's sort of built from stolen parts in, in a certain extent you know like there's there's definitely a lot of like Total Recall in it there's yep. a lot of the Matrix uh, there's a lot of this might have been I'm going to say parallel thinking, but not really because it too was based on a Philip K. Dick story. A lot of minority report, which Mm. came out the same year as equilibrium that reminded me of. Um, and plus this director, uh, Kurt Wimmer, he's mostly a screenwriter. He's only directed a few movies and I should have pulled up his filmography. Maybe I'll, I'll pull it up somewhere in here, but he's had a long career of really not great shit like a lot of bad <laughs> movies and speaking of total recall he wrote the remake of uh, oh, total recall that we no. that we utterly despise um which will i'm sure we'll have to fit into an episode at some point here uh unfortunately that means we have to watch oh, it no but but so it's like how does this movie work so well uh when when this guy's done so many other bad movies and i think that it's sort of a three-step answer. I think the style of the movie does really work. Yes, it's cribbed from the Matrix, but I think the the sort of concept of these like super cops essentially, and like as you learn a little bit more uh, of like how they learn to do like basically where they just eviscerate an entire room with like a sort of gun fu maneuver. Mm-hmm. Um, like I think that really works. Secondly, I do think that a uh, tyrannical uh, uh, faction of of uh, the government who believes that they're doing the right thing when in fact it's like really like uh, uh, terrible and and fascistic um, is pretty prescient um, it always has been but <laughs> yep. it feels maybe more prescient than than ever uh, so I I felt myself sort of slink in the back of my seat there um, and three I mean I bail man like I mm-hmm. think that 
even this young in well, I mean, it's not, he's had a long career because he, you know, of course, started in like Spielberg's Empire of the Sun and Newsies, so he was a child actor also. But this sort of like adult part of his career, which probably arguably started with American Psycho, mm-hmm. um, sort of reintroducing him him as 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 an actor. Um, I feel that he. He could, he's definitely intense. Like we've seen the video on the Terminator Salvation set. We know, we yep. know how he can be. Um, you know, he's, he can be pretty method also, but I don't think he, even in like movies that aren't great, like Terminator Salvation, I don't think he ever acts above the movie that he's in. I think he's always committed to every single thing that he does, even if the movie's beneath him. And I don't think Equilibrium is totally beneath him, but I think he's committed and there's sort of like, there's a vulnerability here that you don't see in a lot of the sort of action archetype. Like as much as I love Jet Li, you don't see that in the one, mm-hmm. um, you know, apples and oranges. Cause it's not trying to do that necessarily, but like, you just don't see that versus I think that he brings a lot to the table in this movie. Um, yeah. And so overall I thought it was a solid, uh, like it was a solid movie. I kind of chuckled not to the movie's fault, but, uh, the way the movie opens is almost like uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown. And so I had to kind of laugh because they talked about how um, like they they had a World War Three and they're like, we knew we couldn't survive a World War World War Four. And it just reminds me that in the future there was a disagreement. And yeah, <laughs> like I, I started chuckling before the movie really even got going. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, like I said, I don't really have a history with this movie. I just sort of watched it in recent years and, and rewatched it the other day. And um, for what it is, it's a pretty solid movie. I also just miss when movies like this made cheaper actually still look like the real thing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of big sets in the movie, a lot of big, like elaborate production design and costume design. Like costume it's, design it's great. It's a world that's at least like well realized and like it's not uncomplicated, but it's also like a fully realized world and vision and Mm -hmm. i think that it works a lot in this movie i I think you asked to start if this was arguably better than the one and i I don't think it's more enjoyable than the one but i think i'd probably argue it's a better made movie it's a better made movie yeah i i think so i mean a a lot to unpack there i think uh i'm gonna start with i'm gonna pile on to the the references this is uh basically fahrenheit 451 but with guns in it yeah. Um, 1984 as well. 1984. Well, in a brave new world too. Specifically, the drug is very reminiscent of Soma. Um, but the bail in this movie is really, to me, like came across a lot like his Patrick Bateman uh, uh, performance. It, it's not the same. Like he's definitely committed and he's putting forward a, a different performance. But there was portions. Uh, the, there's the section after he's. Uh, missed his doses and now he's feeling emotions again and they're they're killing the dogs um after killing all of the the uh, sense offenders that they found in the in the outskirts and he grabs that puppy and he does like a we should test the animal make sure that there's i got there was very much like a, i have to go return some videotapes vibe that i was getting from that line delivery of like we should test the animals and make sure that they're not sick <laughs> um so like there, it was kind of breaking through but i i did appreciate Bale is giving it his all, and I do have to give a nod to Sean Bean, who is in the movie very little. He didn't make the cover, although he had like an even more important uh, part to play in the movie than I think Tay Diggs did. Like they could have all shared the the limelight there on the cover of the movie, but he he's in it for very little length of time. But he 
he gives when he so basically when I said in in the synopsis and sorry spoilers, um, uh, Bale is a such a high ranking cleric. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's an expert. He's uh, been hunting down sense offenders for a very long time now and rooting them out. And he comes to the realization that his partner, played by Sean Bean, is a sense offender and is actually feeling. And he has stolen a piece of contraband. And so he meets him in the outskirts of the city where basically most people who are uh, sense offenders who are not part of society, they will leave the city and go live in squalor. But by doing so, they can have trinkets and, and books of poetry and art and music and things that aren't allowed in this society because they will cause you to feel things. And he's out there reading a book of poetry and they have this sort of conversation where he basically breaks down like, like, are you even alive if you can't experience anything that you're living? And uh, ultimately, he is forced to kill him, uh, which is basically his inciting incident. Once he does that, he starts to question, like, why he's doing this, because he liked his partner. Which, again, if you are a robot and you are unable to feel anything at all, that would not have been an inciting incident for a character. So, don't think too hard about the rules of the world because it requires our main character to be able to feel things when they can't feel things. So don't think too hard about it, but the, I still like the setup and I like the build off of it from there. And especially Bale's performance of a man with a flood of emotions who has to have them restrained because if he is sniffed out by upper crust society, he himself will be killed. Um, yeah. which just adds this tense layer throughout the rest of the movie. It does. I, I think there is a good amount of tension. And I was going to make a joke in there at some point. I was like, what? Sean Bean dies in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> you don't yeah. say. Uh, <laughs> I guess we didn't need the spoiler alert, did we? Like, I, like, I mentioned Sean did. Bean and he goes, all right, when's he fucking die? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He didn't, didn't, didn't get a spoiler tag for that one. Just his mere <laughs> presence in the movie is a spoiler in and of itself. Um, but... <laughs> Um, but there is a great layer of tension because it does have that sort of, and that, I think that's where the total recall comparison comes in. Mm-hmm. And I do think the movie does a good job of this uh, uh, until like towards the end when like the, the sort of puzzle pieces are put together. I think the movie does a really good job of like um, detouring you and making you wonder like, is he feeling? Is he not like that is like, is he actually feeling or is he uh, or, 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 or uh, and like is good at putting on a mask for it or is he not? Uh, much like Total Recall, where you're just like, is this is this Quaid or is this uh, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, or uh, you think this the, is the real Quaid? Yeah. It is. Is, it, is it is it Quaid or or uh, Hauser? Like that? Like, yeah. Who 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 is it? Who's the real? You know. And so it does a really good job of that. Um, you know. Also the like leading to the tension. Weirdly, one of the creepiest child performances I've ever seen. And I should look up the actor's name. Is the kid who plays his son, who's like a total like completely fascistic bought into the whole like you know like we need to stiff out any sense offenders bale's wife was taken away for being a sense offender it was like called and in burned. by his and burned it was called in by his son for for doing it uh which we find out so it's just like that's a little like creepy like element that adds there um much also like total recall we have like and the matrix as well. We have like the underground sort of freedom fighters who are leading mm-hmm. the, the charge, which Sean Bean was a part of. Um, speaking of another, I, I will also say spoilers, but speaking of another actor whose presence also like sort of give away was William Fickner, 
who turns out to be the leader because mm-hmm. anytime William Victor's in the movie, he is the opposite of whatever he's initially portrayed as to be at the start. <laughs> if he's portrayed to be a uh, like evil, he's probably good. If he's portrayed to be good, he's probably actually evil. <laughs> so that's I've never pieced that together, but you're hundred percent right. <laughs> so the second that they're they're watching the presentation uh from from like their 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 uh you know leader and uh and I see William Victor sitting there and I was like oh He's part of the resistance. Okay, well, he's the resistance <laughs> leader. Okay, like almost Check. immediately. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's it's like like I said, a lot of elements from other movies, but I do think they they wield it to their advantage here. Um, and it doesn't help, doesn't hurt that it does. You know, in speaking with these sort of Matrix knockoff uh, comparisons, is that there's a couple really good action sequences in it, specifically when Christian Bale's characters pitted up a bunch of, about a bunch of. Um, other like clerics um and they have that sort of like street standoff where he just quickly wails on them like one after the other which is which is actually i gotta give credit because it reminded me a lot of because like this clearly was a knockoff of the matrix but then it's almost like a feedback loop because it reminded me of like the burly brawl in the matrix reloaded when he's fighting all when neo's fighting all those agent smiths that they keep coming one after the other after the other after he sees the oracle like it reminded Mm. me of that so i'm just like did the Wachowskis watch Equilibrium? <laughs> at the fact and be like, oh shit, it's a hmm. feedback loop. All right, I'm gonna write that note down. <laughs> I think we can make it better, but uh, so. um, I I mean, for me, the scene in the burrows after he goes to leave the dog out there and he gets stopped by the police and he takes them all out and there's that shot where he he jumps into the center of a bunch of motorcycle guys and so he's like completely surrounded and. The thing that you had mentioned earlier, like the gun foo, it's called gun kata in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but like they give like a real world explanation of like using uh, like analysis of gunfights throughout history. We've been able to maximize like the the trajectory of bullets to hit the most targets while keeping the person firing the gun like safer. And they're sixty seven percent more lethal using this fighting style than if they were just a normal person with a gun. So they give like some explanation to it. And then when we see it, we see it in action for the first time at the beginning of the movie, but it's in a completely dark room and Bale is shooting and his muzzle flashes are like strobing and lighting up the room. So we sort of see his body position, but we don't get a full sense of what actually is happening. So when we actually see the full thing in motion, when he is surrounded by these bikers and we get a, a bird's eye shot above the action of him very quickly changing gun positions to shoot in a full circle around him and just obliterates everybody around him and drops him to the ground. That shit is so fucking cool still yes. to this day. Like it's still so fucking cool to see that on the level of something that would be like the matrix. Like that, that felt very sci-fi and, but like also grounded in real in the way that it was presented that yes. I am still so impressed by the way that scene is shot. I love that whole opening sequence, like where they're like, you know, where it's like the initial storming and then they mm-hmm. send in the clerics and, and the way that shot, the, the minimalism that they use in that sequence is so effective. Like, because you're, you're like, whoa, like, what just happened? But that was, like, incredibly cool. And I've never seen that in a movie before. So it's like, you have to give credit to to these filmmakers for something that you're like, oh, well, I've never seen that before. Right. And I can really say I haven't really seen it since. So that was, like, a unique concept they brought to the movie. Um, and then, the, like, the, you know, to top off the sort of world building in that sequence where they, once they've 
once he's ended everybody that they like open up the contraband that was stolen and it's like an original Mona Lisa. Like they mm-hmm. have a little scanner that says like, you know, this is Mona Lisa, Leonardo da Vinci mm-hmm. uh, real. And then they like burn it. Robert Langdon comes out all confused, um, you know, <laughs> but uh, anyway, dumb joke. Uh, go back, to, <laughs> go back three episodes ago. Listen to us talk. I about just don't want to code. talk about it anymore. I'm you, 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 you like didn't even acknowledge it. You're just like, if I shut up, he'll stop talking. I, please don't bring up Robert Langdon. <laughs> <laughs> but what I also have to credit the filmmakers is because this movie is pretty stark and humorless and, if it was done poorly, this could have been a very miserable movie to sit through. Like, it's a thin line when you're working on a movie like this. Mm-hmm. That you're like, if you don't pull it off thematically or at least on a visceral level, like, you're going to be in for a bad slog of a time. Oh, But yeah. the fact that the movie comes in almost immediately, you know, has its moment of exposition, gets you into what's going on immediately sets the tone with that opening sequence carries that tone through in a way that's at least you know successful keeps you engaged it's 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 one of those that's like it's way better than it has any right to be yes there are when you're sentenced in this world you're burned alive so like yes the stakes are very high and it's also just very very dour and it's it's also like if you allow yourself to sort of envision this world being real a world of robots of people who are incapable of feeling feelings and they're just moving from one station to the other just to do their day job at their desk and everything is exactly the same is like chilling in in it's it's uh it's absurd to think about it and look at but like the the concept itself is so cold and clinical and just devoid of anything that you could even call cheery that you're yes. you're right. If they could have treated it a little bit too seriously, or or really hammered on some points that they didn't need to, and it could have been a slog. I'm glad that they chose to concentrate more on doing kick-ass gunfights. Um, yes. One of the things I would think that the movie does overdo is presents us with a moment where we think that they've caught him. And then it's very quickly like explained away, like no, no, it was a misunderstanding. It was a misdirect. Go about the rest of the movie because like, there's a couple times where they will have like the 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 leader wants to see you right now. We have to take you to his office, and he's like really nervous. They take him by armed guard up there. You know, the, uh, there's word that a a senior cleric is feeling, and you wouldn't happen to know anything about that, would you? And I hope you find him. Okay, get out of my office and get out of here. It's like yes, there's uh, like three <laughs> scenes of that. I, I think when yeah. I when I watched it at my buddy's house the first time I saw the movie, I think I went to go get like a snack it, at like after the, um, after the uh, the scene I referred to that's almost like the one in Matrix Reloaded, like where he's taking mm-hmm. on this bunch of other like clerics, and it was like after that scene or, or somewhere in there that like I went to get a snack and I came back and he's like not imprisoned and not like anything. I was like, oh, I'm sorry. What, wait, what happened? Did <laughs> did, just, wait, did you did rewind? He just, did he just take a bunch of people <laughs> like out that, that, that could like seriously like do some harm? What, what just happened? Right. <laughs> so yeah. And I, it's just like, uh, no, don't worry about it. That scene's over. We're on to the next scene now. So we don't have to explain that in the world. There, yeah. There's a little bit of a messy script issue here and there. There's a couple of dicey, uh, CGI choices. Uh, Tay Diggs face, uh, comes to mind at the uh, towards the end of the movie there um, th- th- that don't quite hold up, but I think 
for the most part, like they're doing it mostly, you know, practical and on set and it looks great. Um, great performances. And the story carries you through, even though there are some, some messy bits. I think it also maybe didn't need to be as long as it is, even though it's it a is long, fairly yeah. short. Like it's, it's not that long of a movie, but like you could have cut 17 minutes down, made this a sleek 90 minutes. And I think it would have moved much better. Yeah, no, that's a valid point. It's not that it's a long movie, but it feels its length. There was a right. like, couple times, I usually don't like to do this, but there was a couple times I hit the up arrow on my Xbox controller, and I was like, how much, how much longer is, do we have? Yeah, how much is left? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was like, eh, okay. We, we gotta um, get him close, right? No? Oh, shit. <laughs> but it's still it's a, still a solid movie, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think, like, as far as this window of time and these kind of movies that came out in the wake of The Matrix, I definitely think... Equilibrium is probably like, as far as ones that are deliberate and not just like using elements for right. no for reasons. Just the only reason is because it was cool. Um, I think it's definitely one of the top ones that that were made, at least of the ones I've seen. Oh yeah, oh by far. Uh, and I mean, just like we've talked about it over and over, uh, the glut of the slashers of the eighties. Uh, there was a glut of. Matrix knockoffs that came out uh, in you know the the decade after the Matrix came out, and so I wanted to pick ones that were hot on the heels, since these are ones that probably were conceived, or in the case of you know at least one of them we know for a fact was conceived as something completely different that took on a different shape because of the influence of the Matrix, and right. the other two obviously included some some bits in the filmmaking that were you know lifted from the Matrix, but. I didn't want to do Matrix ripoffs. I wanted to do things that were capitalizing on its success. And I think I think that's a little bit more of a, a, a different and interesting category than something that's just trying to do the same thing again. Something that's doing their own thing but incorporating things that they know are successful and popular and still trying to remain their own standalone thing. Which I think each of these three did. Uh, none of them are just uh, bold-faced ripoffs. Um, and to varying degrees of success, as, as you as you now know. Yes, I, I think I couldn't say it better myself. I think that's a good place to to leave it. Um, but this was fun. It was like I said, it was a time capsule. These movies were made between two thousand one and mm-hmm. two thousand two, so it's like a very specific window in between the Matrix and the Matrix Reloaded <laughs> specifically. Right. Um, but it was it was an interesting trip back down down memory lane, uh, even though. I didn't see ballistic or equilibrium in that time period. Like I saw the one, it still like reeked of that like era. <laughs> it's got there's a there's a, a fingerprint there. We're like ah, yeah. I, I see you. The early two thousand stank are all over the movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, before we wrap this episode up, proper next week. Um, so I think we alluded to this the the uh, uh, end of last week's episode. We're pretty much going to be taking almost all of September off uh, for work and and family stuff um but not before we will still drop an episode next week uh uh, on september 2nd and we're going to do a summer catch-up so we're going to be talking about new release movies i know we did a may catch-up uh episode so i mean we already talked about a lot of the movies in that month but anything in the summer that we saw that we felt is at least worth discussing uh we're going to talk about it next week um so be sure to check that episode out when it drops but in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. 
You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Good Bad What, and you can email us at the Good the Bad the What at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website, and all our donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of any movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you could find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at THOChristo89 or on Letterboxd at C underscore THOM. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with a summer 2022 catch-up. Oh, wow.